It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Here is the one, the only, world famous, infamous, my goodness, Dr. History, how are you? I'm doing great this morning. How are you getting along? I'm not bad. Uh, a little bit chilly. Did you see the picture, by the way, that was taken by the National Wire or Weather Service about the cold front when it came across the Canadian border down here into the United States? It looked like it was going to get very cold. Oh, it did. It dropped 50 degrees in less than 24 hours up in that area. They won't be golfing today. No, I don't think so, but uh, you of all people, you had to brag a little bit and wear your cap in that shows that you're one of the mucky mucks of the national senior games. Well, you know, you got to brag a little when you get a bronze medal. That's right. I'm proud to look at my wife laughing at him. Uh, no, I tell you what, when you get a bronze medal, that shows. How many guys competed against you, by the way? Well, let's see. I got third place. I think there was uh, three. No, no. no, come on. <laughs> You know, actually, uh, I'm not sure. I know there's at least a dozen to 15 oh, really? in my age group. Do they come from all over the world? Or yes, just... they do. Canada, really? uh, back east, uh, all over the United States. And um, some of the volleyball teams are actually uh, international. Japan, uh, South America. Oh, really? So it's quite a, a big event down there, the Huntsman World Senior Games. Do the guys wear the same kind of short shorts that the girls wear? I hope not. No. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, Dr. History, and uh, we might point out that uh, this program has been fairly well accepted all over the world, literally. How many different countries now are listening, and how many hits have we had on the uh, dr com? Okay, we're over 70,000 hits in about 55 different countries. 55 countries. And Do you the realize we could control the U.N.? That would be great. I think it would be, too. <laughs> and one of the reasons I came today, Zeb, is because our students in Peking University in Beijing... In China. In China are having a little bit of a hard time hearing me when I call in. Really? So that's why I wanted to come out here to the studio today, and hopefully they'll be able to hear a little better. Now, can you say anything in Chinese to welcome them this morning? No. Okay, that's good. Okay. <laughs> what kind of a story are we going to have this morning? Well, you know, we haven't had a really good uh, stage robbery for quite a while, so uh, we're going to do a stagecoach robbery that actually occurred here in Idaho. Really? Yeah. So Now, whereabouts did the stages primarily run? Well, the the one we're going to talk about went from Salt Lake to up into Montana to Virginia City. Oh, so it, did it take the route like over by Montpelier, Malad, over in that area? Uh, up the Portneuf River, I up see. through Pocatello, and up that direction. I see. Okay, go ahead. All right. Well, the gold rush into the Dakotas, Idaho, and Montana started a decade after gold was discovered at Sutter's Mill in California. The roads to and from the diggings went through hundreds of miles of the most desolate country imaginable. But as it happened, particular places seemed to be ideal for robbers to congregate and to do their business. Well, these places were inevitably called a robber's roost, and in the north, this gathering place was at, a nor at the northern mouth to the Portneuf Canyon. 
Mm-hmm. And when a robbery in the canyon turned deadly in 1865, Montana's infamous vigilantes became interested. They tracked down the murderers and pulled them up by their neck uh, by, uh, with the help of a tree. Uh, a little uh, necktie party. A little necktie party. The, the vigilantes didn't look fondly upon uh, people who robbed. I see. So, now, the town of Virginia City and Bannock sprang up overnight in Montana near the Rick's Diggings, and it became necessary to establish stagecoach service to these boom towns. So, a stage company provided service between Salt Lake City and Virginia City in 1863. Now, Ben Holiday's line established a stagecoach line to bring in miners and payrolls and to take out the gold dust and other express. Mm-hmm. Well, Ben Holiday of the Overland Stagecoach Company was awarded on July 1st, 1864, the lucrative U.S. mail contract of $13,271 per year for four years. Wow. So, back then, that would have been, you know, a pretty good sum. 13000 13, back 000 then? Back in, what was that, 18... 1864, so at least 10 times that amount now. Oh, absolutely. At least. Yeah. So, but a stage line needed three things. It needed a mail contract uh, to survive. It needed express business to make some profit. And then, of course, it needed passengers to make the line a success. And Overland had all three of these to make it a success. Now, one route starting from Salt Lake City went to Bear River uh, in present-day Utah. It continued into present-day Idaho, uh, up into Pocatello. It crossed the Snake River and then went on into Montana. One road led to Virginia City and the other to a place called Bannock, Montana. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, traveling in a southerly direction, the line divided uh, with uh, the through coach going southwest into Salt Lake City, while another coach uh, went west up to Boise. I see. Now, at the northeast end of Portneuf Canyon, there was a swing station that came to be known as Robber's Roost because it was the point on the trail beyond which the southbound treasure-laden coaches were most vulnerable to robbery. And it was at this station that robbers watched for signs of treasure aboard. And I actually looked on a map last night, Zeb, and there, right in that area, there's a canyon, a road called Robber's Roost Canyon. To this day, it's named that, right over in that area. In, in what area is that again? Over uh, south of uh, Pocatello. South of Pocatello. Are you talking possibly out towards uh, Aberdeen or American Falls? Uh, no, more south, towards Salt Lake. More south, uh, towards Salt Lake. Yeah, okay. it's actually uh, just east of the freeway that heads out of Pocatello towards Malad. I see. And they so. had a place called Robber's Roost over there. Yeah. Hmm. So Portneuf Canyon was soon infested with these robbers and it, because it was the ideal place to rob the coaches before they reached Marsh Valley some distance south of Portneuf Canyon. Wouldn't it have been further ahead for the stagecoach lines to provide like outriders or scouts or somebody? It would have saved a lot of money, wouldn't it? You know, you would think they would, but usually they just had the driver and the uh, shotgun. shotgun. Yeah. yeah. But it was at, at Marsh Valley that the contents of the stagecoach were divided uh, after they'd robbed the coach. and They still do that today over they there. They still rob the, yeah, yeah you got to watch where, <laughs> where you're riding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, passengers for Salt Lake City continued on the original coach while another coach was started for Boise with passengers, mail, and express for that city. Well, the stage line was well-equipped uh, this particular day uh, with fine Concord coaches pulled by four carefully matched mules and 
On July 10, 1865, loaded with the mail and seven passengers, the coach left Virginia City for Salt Lake City in Boise mm-hmm. with a guy by the name of Frank Williams driving. Now, keep that guy in mind, Frank Williams. Okay. And a guy named Charlie Parks was riding on the left side as the shotgun messenger, they called him. Uh-huh. Well, several of the men, uh, the passengers, had hidden among their luggage 65000 in gold dust, <laughs> packed in cans, which at uh, the Times rate of $13.50 per ounce weighed a total of nearly 5,000 ounces in gold. Oh, my goodness. So they also had among them more than 5,000 in treasury notes. Now, the gold which was being transported for a number of successful miners in Virginia City was to be forwarded to the east after reaching Salt Lake City. Well, the men, because of the great treasure in their care, were all well-armed. They all had guns. Uh, They had guns either on them or placed close at hand within the coach. So here we are, July 13th, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The coach was heading southwest at a pretty good pace. The men aboard had seen the same suspicious-looking man on horseback pass the stagecoach a couple of times. Mm -hmm. However, when nothing happened, they relaxed a bit but still remained alert. Now, Williams, the driver, donned a bright red neckerchief. Now, keep that in mind. Okay. Williams, I've got a lot of things I've got to keep track okay, of. Okay, Williams and the bright red neckerchief. Yeah. Okay, for this leg of their journey, and had his hands full of reins as the coach approached a place in Port of Canyon, a few miles past the station where the road was thickly walled with brush, the coach had just come under a projecting rock on one side and was approaching a clump of trees along the stream on the other side when all of a sudden a man stepped out of the trees and ordered halt. Uh-huh. And they halted. And that's going to come to, you'll see why here in a little bit. Okay, I'm on pins and needles. All right. Now, but a, but a moment, six more men stepped into view from the brush, and each man, with his fat face blackened as a disguise, was holding a shotgun pointed at the driver and the shotgun, or the messenger. Or they, had a, or they were sh- pointing at the coach. Well, they ordered the passengers to get out, and within the coach, there was a scramble as the passengers retrieved their weapons. Well, one or more of them started firing at the uh, the robbers, but without effect, and the robbers returned fire and riddled the coach with buckshot, which instantly killed two men. Oh, my. Mortally wounded wounded two more and inflicted a pretty serious wound, but not fatal, on the shotgun guy, Parks. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, once the shooting stopped, uh, two men jumped from the interior and escaped uh, from the from the stagecoach and ran into the brush. Well, the robbers quickly reloaded their double-barrel shotguns and fired at the the guys fleeing, but they didn't get them. And uh, anyway, so they uh, all the carpet sacks were rifled for gold dust and valuables, and all the cans of gold dust were found uh, in the back of the stage and passenger compartment and uh, anyway the robbers next went through the bodies of the passengers taking everything of value from their pockets and then cut open the mailbags now also there appeared to be about 15 gold bars that were in this uh, robbery okay well and that's gonna I'll talk about that again you know a lot of things for me to remember that's right so don't forget okay Okay, the leader then called for the horses and another man and the eighth uh, in the party who had been holding their horses in the brush a few yards off, brought them forward, the men mounted and rode off. Well, as soon as the road agents were out of sight, a passenger by the name of Carpenter uh, secured one of the stage mules and rode several miles back to the Portland of Canyon Station. 
Canyon uh, Carpenter assembled a small party of men and returned to the scene of the murders where they collected their dead, gathered uh, the mutilated male, harnessed a team to the coach, and returned to the station. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, the frequency and the boldness of the robberies in this rough country had encouraged the citizens to form a vigilante committee. Mm-hmm. And they'd been active in the community for months. Uh, the members of the committee took particular interest in the Portniff robbery of July 13th because of the loss of life and everything that was stolen, the amount. So there had been a number of previous robberies in that vicinity, one as early as 1863, and many a man had been pulled up a tree or dangled from the gallows uh, trying to beca- uh, by the vigilantes trying to deter some of these road agents. Okay. Okay, now back to Frank Williams. Oh, yeah. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Frank, i got to remember this. Frank Williams and the red neckerchief. And he was the driver. Yeah. Okay. Well, when he got back, to town, so to speak, he got cussed out by the line superintendent for failing to offer resistance. So he soon quit the stage line, drew his pay, and started for Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Williams was suspected of helping in the robbery because, oh. with all the shooting, uh, he had not suffered a scratch. Well, now he was sitting right up there on top of the stage, right, with bullets flying all over, but uh, nobody, uh, nobody got him. I see. Okay, so a member of the vigilante committee was assigned to watch Williams and followed him uh, through Salt Lake City and on to Denver, Colorado. Now, Williams, over the next few months, began spending lavishly on liquor and other forms of entertainment. Going through several Why thousand... Why don't you elaborate on that entertainment just for a little bit? I think probably singing and dancing. I say singing and dancing. Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. Right, you know, yeah. st- things like that. Sure. So, yeah. And uh, anyway, he went through several thousand dollars, uh, even though his total worth from his stage line pay would have been less than $200. Really? So the Montana man sent word to his committee, and a party of men joined him in Denver. Now, Williams must have become a little suspicious because he suddenly packed his gear and started out of the country. Mm-hmm. However, he was overtaken, he was arrested, and confronted with the suspicions of the vigilantes. You know, and I'm thinking maybe he was hoping for a little uh, sympathy, but Williams uh, fell to his knees, he was conscience-stricken, and provided a full confession. Uh-oh. He just spilled his guts. Yeah. He admitted that his bright red neckerchief... Okay, remember I told you about that? I remember. Was a signal to the gang that the treasure was aboard. I see. And then he named the eight men who, with him, had participated in the robbery and also named at least seven other members of the gang. Okay, now we're going to leave just a little bit. I've got to give you a little background here. Okay. Uh, Williams identified the Portniff robbers as members of a gang called the Updike Gang. Now, he told where the main body of the murderers could be located in Colorado and revealed that it was in his, that was his part in the robbery to drive the coach into the ambush, ambush in a manner that would arouse the least suspicion and then to be certain that the horses didn't bolt and carry the stagecoach out of, out of danger. So he sat up there on the stagecoach. Holding the horses. Holding the horses so everybody could shoot. 
Sure. Oh, my yeah. goodness. He was the driver that didn't do anything, well, except hold the horses. What about the shotgun guard, though? I mean, man, uh, he got shot, didn't he? He did, which I think must have disabled him, because, you know, by that that point, he just probably decided that was enough. Well, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> With eight guns pointed at yeah. you. Yeah. So, anyway, so Williams had done his job well. He'd been paid off in treasury notes, nearly all of which he'd already spent. Uh, but the vigilantes took... What did he spend that money on? I uh, just... <laughs> Good, fun, honest I see. times. Okay. <laughs> the vig- Zeb, you're going to get me one of these days. You know, the vigilantes took Williams to a place called Cherry Creek, which, which was a short distance southeast of Denver, and it was a popular place for hanging people. Well, they selected a good old sturdy cottonwood tree, and on January 4th, they pulled him up and tied off the loose end and left him hanging. Popular place to just hang around, huh? Just he was hanging around yeah. where others had been hanging around, I too. See. So they got him. They got him. So, anyway, the Montana party remained in Colorado and took the trail of the other murderers. Yeah. Now, the Montana vigilantes captured and hung five others of the Portnoff gang. Oh, my goodness. Over there by Denver. Now, after dispatching all the Portnoff fugitives they found in Colorado, the vigilantes returned to Montana and began to watch this guy Updike. You see, he wasn't with them. He was, he was, it was their gang, but he wasn't with them when they did the robbery. Well, what did he do? Well, I'm going to get to that. Oh. Okay, David Updike had been born in New York in 1830. When he was 25 years old, he went to California, where, too late for the gold rush, he took employment with a California stage company for two years. Then in 1864, he came up into Idaho. He discovered, actually, a rich claim, and with his profits from that venture, he bought a livery stable in Boise. I see. And this became the headquarters for a large gang of road agents and horse thieves. And Updike, for his share of the plunder, had supplied the robbers with horses, guns, and ammunition for their assault upon the stagecoach at Portnoff. So he was kind of the money behind the venture, so to speak. So anyway, long story short, most of the treasure was never accounted for. All that money. You know, the guy that's the front man, like this Updike, and furnishing the money and the horses and everything to go from Boise clear across to eastern Idaho, he took kind of a risk, too, that he'd ever get his percentage back. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good question. I don't know how he got his share of the money. Yeah. But I, I'm sure he did, somehow or another. Yeah. So, anyway, Updike was involved in politics in Idaho and managed to get himself elected sheriff of Ada County. Here we go, another we crooked go. politician. <laughs> and sheriff. So, anyway, he planned to use his position to dispose of this strong vigilante committee. Well, because it was cutting into his business, his illegal business. Yeah. Well, he managed to get warrants issued for the arrest of 30 men, but planned to shoot down the leaders and as many others as possible, claiming they had attempted to resist or escape. Sure. Well, the committee received notice of the plans. They armed themselves and met the posse of 15. Of course, at that point, they were outnumbering them two to one. So the entire party proceeded to Boise, where the complaint was dropped. Well, next, the county commissioners brought charges against Updike for defaulting on a loan. Uh, in 1865, the citizens had organized an expedition against uh, marauding Indians, and Updike managed to be involved, and he embezzled most of the arms and supplies uh, and uh, put, gave them to his gang. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, one of the principal witnesses against Updike was a guy named Reuben Raymond, and he was a recently discharged soldier, much like much liked in the neighborhood. And a guy named John C. Clark, uh, in a job put up by Updike, murdered Raymond in a stable, but there were witnesses, and two days later, Clark was taken from the guardhouse and hung. So there's a lot of hanging going on I was going to say, you're wasting a lot of rope here. <laughs> That's true. Well, they may have used the same rope over again. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, the citizens were outraged. They established a night watch and targeted the criminal element with uh, death or banishment, and many got the word, and soon Updike was nearly alone, but under the watch of lie of the vigilantes. So Updike left town for a place called Rocky Bar. Okay. The vigilantes followed closely. They arrested Updike, and they took him Here to a go. place. You're ahead of me, Zeb. <laughs> the place called Syrup Creek, which was a little about 10 miles from Rocky Bar. There they selected a tree, and you yep. saw this coming, with sturdy limbs. They hanged the prisoner, and the remainder of the Updike gang learned of the fate of their leader, and soon there was not one of Updike's gang to be found anywhere near Boise. So, although Updike was not hanged for his part in the Portland of Stage robbery, he still met his fate that was due. Now, one quick note. I know we're about out of time. Yeah, i got about two minutes. Okay. The gold bars, yeah. the 15 gold bars, were never sold or found. And the speculation is that the gold was buried somewhere near the site of the robbery. Uh-huh. So the gold valued at 86000 at that time would now be worth $1.6 at least. When you want to go. Do you have a metal detector? Do I? No, but I'll buy one. Okay. <laughs> so the robbery site was in the canyons around the Portneuf River a few miles south of Pocatello. Oh, my goodness. Somewhere Still there. As far as we know. But, you know, as we've talked before about buried treasure, sometimes people will find treasure yeah. and they don't tell anybody. You know, what we might find is even the rope. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope it's not still attached to who they used it last on. And that happened literally on both sides of the state then. Boise area and... Portneuf and, of course, down into Denver, down into Colorado. Holy smokes. There were some bad people back then. You know, but the vigilantes had a way of discouraging that activity. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was a lot of rope. I mean, the guy that must have led the horse with all the rope. Yes. And uh, keep in mind, sometimes the vigilantes may have hung the wrong guy. Oh, you think so? That could have happened. Mistakes were made. Could have happened. You know, that would be a really long, maybe a short ride to the nearest tree, I mean, for those guys, knowing that that was it. That was the end. Yeah, and uh, no mercy. No mercy. So. Wow. That's pretty devastating. Good story. Well, I enjoyed that. I like that because it's close by here, and yeah. we can relate to Idaho and Boise and Pocatello. Yeah. And I like this idea of you coming out here and being in the studio. That's kind of nice because we can uh, go back and forth a little better. Yeah, it's a lot easier, and uh, let's do this again. We'll do that. We'll Dr. Have to Hester, real quick, I only got a minute, and then i got to do a commercial break before the real hard break at the bottom of the hour. Dr-History.com, uh, growing and getting bigger all the time. You know, Zeb, we still do not have a listener in Wyoming. What's going on? We've got all the western states, nobody in Wyoming. Now and all the foreign countries. 55 countries, nobody in Wyoming. What's the matter with Wyoming? You know, there's a lot of good people out there, a lot of good cowboys. Somebody surely has a friend in Wyoming. Well, for... <laughs> they can tell. <laughs> Go to our webpage. Here we are at what university over in China? Peking, Peking University in and Beijing. And we can't get somebody in Wyoming? What's going on? Three, hour, three hours away. Holy And by Jesus. the way, Zeb, I am planning on going to China next spring 
to meet some of these students. Are you really? I, uh, that's the plan right now. Okay, we have a quick call. Stand by. Call her real fast. I've only got 30 seconds. Make it quick. Yeah, Wyoming, you still use the smoke signal, so that's why there's no smoke. Okay, well, we'll build a fire. Thanks, Al. God bless you. <laughs> Dr. History, thank you so much. You bet. You have a good day. Excellent, Jeff. excellent program. Dr. Ken Turner, better known as Dr. History, right here on Zebeth the Ranch.